Hello, you are listening to Nashville Demystified. I am your host, Alex Steed. Today, we are going to talk with Carlene Carter, which is so exciting. This is not an official installment of Music City Tales from the 1980s, though it is strongly related in subject matter. Let's just say it is a companion episode. More on that in a minute. National Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory, a commercial video content production company with offices here in the city. And we're brought to you by We Own This Town, a network of podcasts produced by Nashvillians. One show I think you'll like is Hot Minute. That's hot with two T's. Uh, The show is hosted by Jamie Bradley and Ashley Spurgeon. It is described as two smart women who discuss who is hot and why. They recently said that Toby Huss is a cartoon hot version of Jackie Earl Haley, and it's like they just came up with the perfect statement to uh, to reel me in. I don't know. Do you know who Toby Huss or Jackie Earl Haley are? Um, uh, if you don't, Google them. You've seen them around, and that is a absolutely true statement. Toby Huss is already the strongest man in the world, among many other things. Check the show out. It is a ton of fun. And all the shows on the network are great fun. Also, I should ask you to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're not already, please say hello there and follow and subscribe wherever you do that sort of thing with regard to podcasts. A review would also be nice if you like it. And if you don't, just keep it to yourself and listen to the other shows that you like more than mine. But if you do like it, please, let's do a review. We'll be back next week with a full episode of Music City Tales from the 1980s, this time about how Lower Broad went from a place to find by shootouts with the police and porn shops and, no joke, politicians going undercover as homeless people at the start of the decade to one that uh, is a place where folks felt comfortable having a welcome home party for troops from Operation Desert Storm and uh, Christmas festivals. (laughs) A lot happened in a decade on Lower Broad, and we're going to talk about what that looked like and how it happened. I've pulled from literally hundreds of stories of people who've lived and worked in the area at the time, or who lived and worked in the the area at the time, and from thousands of news stories. Uh, So it's been a bit of a bear. That's why I need this break uh, to, to get it to you in its fullest form. But here, here is a super quick preview of uh, uh, what you'll be hearing in the Lower Broadway episode. There doesn't seem to be anything to prohibit body painting as long as they don't touch certain areas. But if, in the midst of this body painting, a person's hand were to wander to another area, such as the breasts, buttocks, anus, or genitals, then the club could lose its liquor license. All right. Intriguing. Enticing. Thank you, uh, uh, Beverly who is uh, uh, one of the voices of Sex in the Music City, for lending her voice to our upcoming Lower Broad episode. More on that next week. I did want to talk with Carlene Carter for a number of reasons, uh, specifically because she is a person who has deep, deep Nashville roots, uh, and, and roots that go back to the 80s, of course, and they go back to, uh, to before even that. We barely touch on how... Uh, her time in the 80s relates to Nashville because Carlene was largely out of town throughout the decade, living in the UK and in Los Angeles. But she did return in 1987 and started singing with a revived version of the Carter family, which featured her mom, June Carter. I'm sure you've heard of June Carter <laughs> and this Carter family. And she sang with uh, aunts Helen and Anita. Uh, earlier uh, in the 80s, she put out a few records. 
kicking off the decade with Musical Shapes, which is a record that was produced by her then-husband, Nick Lowe, and it's a beautiful mashup of country and new wave. And that's That doesn't do enough justice, and I know just talking about genre is so painful to musicians generally, but I love that record so much. I think it's, it's, it's a really creative approach to country, and it felt as out of left field as a lot of things in the early 80s did. It's really, really excellent. And then her country career would kick off uh, really in the 90s with albums like I Fell in Love, Little Love Letters and Acts of Treason. Um, While the 80s is only a tangential subject in our interview, themes from our Music City Tales from the 1980s series do come up. We touch on Sheriff Fate Thomas, a character uh, who's already come up in the prologue of the series and will have his own episode at some point soon. And uh, also... Uh, we talk about something that's very 80s specific, more than it is natural specific. We we touch on how Carlene was in one of MTV's first popular music videos, though it was uh, in a pretty unconventional way. If you know the story already, um, we're going to get into it. If you don't, you're really in for a treat. She's been so many interesting places and has so many interesting stories. Um And we also talk about, uh, in a way that relates to the TNN episode we did last week, we talk about how music video culture would reshape country music in the 90s, and we discuss how Carlene uh, approached making music videos then. You'll hear in this episode mention of uh, Jamie uh, a couple of times, and Jamie was sitting in on the interview with us. Uh, It is Jamie Leffler, is who we're talking about, and she is now in the band called Downtown, and she's Howie Epstein's daughter, uh, Howie Epstein was one of the heartbreakers uh, who was Carlene's partner and producer until his passing in 2003. We kick off the interview by uh, talking about my having just seen Carlene perform in the round with Daryl Scott. Um, Shout out to hometown Maine friend Sarah Trenzo, who also played in that set and invited me to that show. That's sort of how this all came together. Uh, So that's what we'll be talking about when it starts. Okay, that's it. That's it for now. Let's go to Carlene. I'm your girl. I cover all decades. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But uh, my agent called, and he he takes care of Daryl as well. And I guess he was doing this thing at Douglas Corner, and uh, Paul Lohr at mm. New Frontier, he suggested that maybe he might want to have me along. Because I've only moved back, like, uh, almost two years ago. Oh. So it's like getting people to know that I actually am here. Yeah. And I'm not still in California. Because, you know, you stay away long enough that people just don't even ask you to do stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're an absolute joy to see. It Thank was you. such a lovely surprise. I had the best time. It's like I'm kind of coming to this conclusion that I really like doing in the rounds and yeah. guitar pulls. And and I look look back on it and think that's because that's where I started in mm. a lot of ways as a little songwriter. I got to do it in my parents' uh, music room. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it seems like people who do best at those have some stories to tell. Oh gosh, and you have some stories. To tell. <laughs> I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I never know what stories are going to come out. Particularly, I have some that I kind of usually always tell, and mm. then some that I just suddenly have a moment where I go, "Oh, I'm going to tell y'all about this because I forgot about it," and then. Some it's in my brain so we'll see what happens here today (laughs) you were and i also saw you pop up in the country music documentary oh yeah i did that uh yeah they interviewed me here uh for quite a quite a long time uh and i guess you know all those hours of that show Mm. i ended up in just about every episode so that was pretty good and i was so proud of it i i thought he did an amazing ken burns did an amazing job 
and it was just it was so heartwarming and I felt such pride over my family and where I come from mm. because he told it so well and really emphasized on exactly what happened you yeah. know and how how these people out of the mountains just came down there and met Ralph Peer and ended up becoming you know the start of a whole lot of stuff and you know but basically what I do they started yeah when, yeah. when you um so I don't know what it's like to be within a family that helped sort of create a genre. <laughs> I didn't know what it was like either. But no one told me they did it. But <laughs> so that never. So that never. I mean, outside of it just being the business, no one was ever like, "Huh, you ever think about the fact that?" Uh... Well, mostly people ask me about it. Sure. You know, they say, "Was it difficult or was it weird or mm. you know or uh, are you intimidated by it and and those things?" And it's like I never have felt intimidated by mm. it or. Uh, you know, it takes my breath away the the scope of how large an impact it had uh, at a time when you know people, you know, didn't have television, they didn't have telephone, you know, much telephones or any of that sort of outside stuff. And getting the radio was a big deal. And then when they came out with the phonograph, you know, that changed everything. And I think the the genuine uh, authenticity of the Carter family and them just being farmers from up in uh, Macy Springs, Virginia, that it really came across in their music mm. and it spoke to a lot of people during the depression and helped people keep on the sunny side yeah yeah, yeah. do you in when it came time for you to 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 perform mm -hmm. and to start establishing your voice right what was your thought process around that about saying like well who am i who, who is my person what is my personality what is my character in in this exactly um i you know, the, one of the reasons I, le I left Nashville in uh, 1978 and went to England to do my first record really had nothing to do with being some sort of rebel or any of that kind of stuff. It was just it just was an opportunity to do what I wanted to do, which was to become the most rockiness country chick in the universe. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I found that there was no, um, you know, genre uh, uh arguments over there not right. as much it's like they accepted me as a real country girl but they also accepted me as somebody who wore mini skirts and liked to rock like hell on stage and, and play a les paul yeah you know that was not available to me in nashville as a country artist mm. that you know i had long hair and it was crystal gale time and they were like oh we can turn her into crystal gale and they even put us on some shows together and my band were like the rumor from england yeah. and and her band was nashville and crystal gale so it was kind of interesting the misconception of what people thought I was going to be like and what I actually was. But honestly, I look back on that time, and in my 20s, I think I was finding out who I was. Hmm. I always knew that I really was influenced by the Carter family. I knew that I wanted to be a songwriter, number one. I never took myself too seriously as a singer. Um, and that just kind of happened organically, where it's just like, okay, she looks kind of cute, and mm. you know, she can write a song, so let's just make a make her into something. Mm -hmm. And Warner Brothers did that, uh, but I I didn't have to like argue with anyone over there about what I was going to do. So I experimented a lot. I did a lot of different kinds of music, and then after five albums, I knew I needed to make a record. Uh, that was radio worthy mm. in some way. So I came back to Nashville. I joined the Carter family for a couple of years. And in that time, I came back and went to Warner Brothers and played them some demos and said, I'm country now. But honestly, I did not change a dang thing. Yeah. I just said, I just said, I'm country now. Yeah. And that was it. And then came I fell in love and mm. all the 90s stuff. So, yeah. yeah. All those, uh, you're, 
the through line messages on on all of those songs are so are so incredibly strong. I mean, the, the personality, the, the the person, the 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 perspective of the the person who's singing those songs, mm-hmm. you, I assume, yeah. largely influenced. Yeah, is uh, it almost seems radical in how 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 uh, strong a lot a lot of those songs are because yeah. you know it seems it seems like without without saying you saying like I'm a feminist artist, it yeah. felt extraordinarily those fe- yeah, it was a very message. very matriarchal family yeah. I came from. You know, even though AP was kind of the head of the family, mm-hmm. um, it, it was very driven by women and the love of music, and mm-hmm. particularly my grandmother Maybell was not going to stop it, it when they stopped. Record, do recording and being together as the original Carter family. She just got her girls and just went. Right. And Aunt Sarah kind of did the same thing with um, Joe and Jeanette, her mm. her kids. And then eventually she moved on to California. And Grandma, she brought the girls here when they were teenagers and they joined the Grand Ole Opry. And had she not done that, it would have ended. Mm. You know, it would probably ended. But she was not scared of it. And my granddaddy was was in there going. Ezra was going. Come on. Come on, May, let's go. Let's get those girls singing. And they could sing like bells. And Mama was funny. And they made themselves a show out of it. And one of the things I loved about the original Carter family is I have this poster from a long time ago, and it's somewhere in my stuff, that says, the Carter family, good moral fiber. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always thought, maybe they should do like a Metamucil ad. <laughs> Keep on the sunny side. Good moral fiber. <laughs> it's shocking that they did not, in a way. What made you decide... When you said you came back and you said, I'm country now, what made that decision? The decision was that I had an epiphany at one point. I came back and I, I wormed my way back in the Carter family. My aunt, Anita, was kind of ill, and so she couldn't always make the shows, even though she stayed out on the road. So they needed a little extra help. So I just learned every part that everybody mm-hmm. sang, and whoever was not on stage that night, I was them. Right. So. I always came back to the music of the Carter family when I wasn't sure where I was going and mm. what I was doing musically. But I went with Mom and John one night to, to the CMA Awards, and she probably doesn't even know this. Katie Oslin yeah. was on there, and she sang Hold Me on stage when she was getting all those awards in the 80s and stuff. And I said, I can do that. Mm. I, I can write songs like that. I know I can. You know, not that I was going to be like her or anything like that. It's just I had this this thing in my mind. I was like, you know what? I think there is a place for me. Then I go backstage and I see my buddy Dwight Yoakam. And he goes, Carlene, you know there is a place for you in country music and mm. you really need to sit in it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So it's like it kind of a few things like that. And uh, and then I have uh, Bob Merlis has been my publicist mm. since I first started. And um in 1978 he was the first person i met at warner brothers so i took him my demos after i was ready to go back out on my own again and said i don't know what these are but i think they're country (laughs) i had a little cassette and there was five songs on it and it was me and the wildwood rose um i fell in love uh world of miracles something else i can't remember but he said go down the hallway and knock on lenny warnicker's door and and play them to him and he was kidding but i did it (laughs) he was joking with me and i just went down there and like knocked on the door and he was on his way out and he i said hi and he goes carlene how are you and i was like i'm good i've got this little tape here bob said i should bring it to you and you should listen to it and he said well i'm in a hurry but i'll sit here and and i'll spot it you know spot check it he listened the whole thing then mo austin came in i mean this was like divine 
God sent stuff for me, you know. And immediately I was back in the bosom of my beloved Warner Brothers Records, who had always been so good and patient with me. And I said, I feel like I owe you guys a record that you can actually maybe get on the radio. Hmm. Yeah. So that's how that happened. That's that's amazing. Do you, and do you do you um, with regard to uh, what you do now? Are you still writing songs? Yes. Or, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and how how is that? How is that going? Uh, well, I have got to be honest. It's like the last few years, I've really been concentrating on the Carter family mm. stuff, and I you know try to become a better musician. I went out and toured with John Mellencamp mm. as a solo act, and. Uh, then I did a record with him, but then we did a Carter Family album. So I've been really in that mold. Uh, but I have a handful of new songs, and I'm excited about plugging my electric back in. <laughs> you, sound, you sound real good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the, wait, so I have a, a couple a couple of side questions from that time in sure. particular. You, um, you, uh, a piece of trivia that I find fascinating about you. I don't know how much you've you've talked about it, but you were in one of the first popular rock music videos ever right your your wedding was yes was uh yeah actually uh yeah it was really how a, that happened okay it's, it's the brilliance of jake riviera who managed nick lowe and rock pile yeah. and i married nick lowe mm-hmm. and we were getting married in los angeles at my house there and of course jake goes we'll just shoot a video for cruel to be kind and then we write the whole wedding off <laughs> Which is what we did. And we had a great wedding at the house. And uh, John Chambody, who was uh, my became my manager later, who worked with Lucinda a lot, also was the bass player in Clover, who were my band for a bit. But anyway, he gave me away. Billy Bremner from Rock Pile was my maid of honor. Um, and we were married by a guru <laughs> that Karen Brooks found for me. <laughs> so it was like this wacky thing. But at the same time, it was a proper wedding. And we... Uh, you know, we missed our our honeymoon flight because uh, we flew straight to New York after the reception the next day, mm-hmm. and they played in New York. Rock Paul did, and then Nick and I were supposed to go on our fabulous uh, honeymoon. Yeah. Well, we both overslept because <laughs> we rocked a little too hard the night before. But uh, yeah, it it was good. So it was Jake that did that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And yeah. then uh, another thing I found, uh, and, and uh, we've been working on a series here about uh, Nashville in the 1980s, right? Uh, and this was not in the 1980s. This was right beforehand. But I found a picture of you in Billboard receiving a key to the prison by Sheriff Thomas? I got the key to the city jail. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. And I played, it was in 78 when I played the Exit Inn, which mm. is where I got my first start as a writer and went, you know, I auditioned to be at Writer's Night and I got to stand on the stage at the Exit Inn and sing my songs. And that was a big deal. You know, nobody did that for me. I, I went and did that. Yeah. So, um, and that's one of the things that I always wanted to make sure I did is that I was going on my own steam. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Sheriff Fate Thomas came to the gig and he says, I have uh, something I want to give you on the behalf of the city. And then he gave me the key to the city jail. <laughs> and I never knew exactly what that meant, but I've it's hung on every home that I've ever lived in. I think uh, I, the only other person I saw, I mean, I, I think a, a handful of people got them, the, but the other two people, which shows you're in very good company, is Alice Cooper and Neil Young. Oh my gosh! No, also really? Them. Yeah, and I don't know oh, wow. what determined who. Got well, you know, we're shocking. The three of us are very shocking. We should do the unlikely trio together. <laughs> I think that they would welcome that invitation yeah. easily. So, when did you leave Nashville? I left Nashville in '77, mm. uh, but I kind of still had a leg back here. Then '78, when I put my first record out, I moved my 
my kids to California and uh, all my stuff. And then Nick and I decided to get married in uh, the summer of 79 while they were on tour with Blondie. Hmm. And, um, you know, it was just a really different time in life for me. I was still really young. I was on my third marriage, you know. Come on. And uh, (laughs) they said, oh, she's just like Loretta Lynn. I was going, not really. No. (laughs) I wish I was. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, was wide open and really exciting Mm -hmm. to find myself moving to England after I'd moved to Los Angeles. I had a lot of fun in Los Angeles, and I kept my house there for a while. But eventually, you know, I could have bought it for $180,000, and now it's worth about $4 million. And I'm like, (laughs) but I didn't think I needed it. And uh, but anyway, (laughs) is that so from so were you have you been out of Nashville from 78 until you came back a couple years ago? No, I've uh, I've been backwards and forwards. It's like most of the time I uh, like in the 90s, I still have my home here Mm. Uh, from 87 to um, 2002. I lived in the house that I grew up in yeah. before Mama married John. It's called the Carter Smith House now, mm. and it's a um, historical marker mm. in Madison. And uh, so I, I had that home, and then I also lived with Howie Epstein up in um, in Coldwater Canyon yeah. in, in L.A. And uh, that's how I got my Jamie, yeah. which is Jamie's right here, <laughs> Howie's daughter. And um, so we, yeah, I, I, I commuted mostly yeah yeah and so how i mean i I know everyone has a has a very specific and very personal take on on this in particular but how Mm -hmm. has nashville changed from that time to to your return well um it's a different kind of thing you know being in my 60s it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of different i'm not out at the gold rush every night (laughs) uh you know and but there is a real community of songwriters here which is always the best thing about nashville for me Uh, also, having lived in California for the last 10 years before I moved back here, I lived up near Santa Barbara in the San Ynez Valley, which is gorgeous and beautiful, but people usually go there and retire, and I could hardly go see any live music. It was crazy. I came back to Nashville, and it's like, I was like a kid in the candy store. I was like, oh my God, I've got to get out, you know? Yeah. And I, I there was so much music here that I missed so many things because I couldn't keep up, mm-hmm. and that's been really inspiring. Plus, I ended up moving one mile from the house I grew up in, yeah. in Madison. So I'm back in Madison, completely full circle. The thing is about is I, I, I love my um, homebody, and I really just like I'm real happy just hanging out in my house with my dogs and my birds. Yeah. And uh, I got girlfriends, and we hang out and stuff. But uh, every once in a while, I get drug out to see mm. some stuff, and it's always fun. And then I create my own stuff, too. Yeah. You know, I like to do the In the Round at the Bluebird with the Wonderful Women, uh, Wonderful World of Women Who Write, which mm. is my little series that I do every year now. And I'm um, thinking of, like, doubling up on that. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, uh, pay attention. And I think I was really paying attention at a certain level in my 20s that I kind of stopped paying attention to because I got into the whole touring world and mm. toured and, and had the pressure of, like, got to make a record every year. Well, yeah. I couldn't do that. I was just like, y'all just going to have to get over it. I was <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> I can't tour 200 dates out of the year and write an album and record it and have it come out. I wasn't that kind of artist. And I always think that uh, quality is better than quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I've let lots of years go by not recording, and I have to pay attention to that because t- time is a ticking, y'all. And I'm going to turn 65 this year, and yeah. I want—I think I've got a, another 10 years left in me if I take care of my knees. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's the, I mean, that's the new, that's my, my, my the best advice my grandmother ever gave me is travel while your knees are good. Yeah, while well, your knees are good and your knees are for praying Absolutely. and <laughs> take care of your teeth because you're going to need them when you get old or you're going to get too skinny. These are <laughs> extremely important takeaways. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about the, the series at the Bluebird and how that started? Um, well, when I came back to town, I wanted to... Uh, really reconnect with a lot of the women writers that I adore Mm -hmm. and love and new people that I had met that I wanted to share a night with. And I was more like a celebration in a way. So the first year was uh, 2018. Is that right? 2018. And I had uh, my first show was with um, Lily Hyatt and Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Cook and me. What an amazing. Yeah, I got to ask people that I really dug that Mm -hmm. I was and I would forget we'd be like doing the in the round and we'd come up to my turn and I would go, oh, shoot, I was listening. I was like, what am I doing? You know, and that kind of proceeded on. I had um, Gretchen Peters Mm -hmm. and Matresa Berg one night. And actually, Matresa has done both of the series that I've done. Um, And then the other was uh, Pam Tillis Mm -hmm. and Lauren Morrow. Wow. Yeah, because I was trying to have somebody from my from my time and somebody that was new. Well, yeah. I kind of looked at Lily like she was from my time because I knew her when she was a baby. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, they, those are all just fan, fantastic artists. Yeah. And I mean, the in the Bluebird obviously is legendary for launching so so many people out into the out yeah into the world. And it's it's a fun. It's like a get together for me, mm. you know. And I love the intimacy of it. And I same thing when I did Douglas Corner with Daryl, and yeah. I love meeting new writers and getting excited about that. I just was down doing the 30A Songwriting Festival and mm. um, and I met uh, Michaela Ann. Yeah. I don't know if you know her. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. And I got to share a night with her. And that that's what, you know, it used to be that I would go, I don't know them. I don't want to do it with mm-hmm. them. Well, now I'm like, I've changed, completely changed my mind as I want to do it with people I don't know yeah. because it is inspiring and, and different. And uh, you just kind of like, it, it just tickles me. Yeah, and that goes two ways. I know I saw because it was right right after the I'd, I'd seen you play with Daryl. I saw her post something on Instagram of you two together. Yeah. And, uh, um, I mean, clearly it's moving in both ways. Yes. Yeah. And that was that's cool. And that's what I think that those kind of festivals are about anyway. And then I just got back from the Outlaw Country Cruise, mm. which is one which I thought that Kayamo last year was the best cruise I'd been on, but this year the Outlaw Cruise was extra special. Yeah. What is it, that? Tell me about that. Uh, it's Norwegian Cruise Lines and uh, six man puts on all these different kinds of um, cruises Mm -hmm. okay there's the outlaw country cruise Mm -hmm. from Sirius XM and then there's uh, the Kayamo cruise which Mm -hmm. is more songwriter senior songwriter oriented although there's a lot of bands and stuff too Um, and those are the only two that I've done but Next year, I'm hoping to do both of them back to back because Jamie and I didn't want to get off the boat after Outlaw. (laughs) And they even told we went and met the captain and everything. He said, "Well, you can stay." (laughs) I was like, "Oh, yeah." So I'm I'm already like bugging him about it. It's like take me from both of them next year. But yeah, it was really inspiring because uh, had a lot of friends on there. Had a lot of people I'd never seen play that I really liked. Mm. I really liked Jesse Dayton, which Jamie turned me on to, and then. Uh, Chris Christopherson was out there. Oh, really? So I got to spend some quality time with Chris and Lisa Christopherson. And I got to take a group of us up to my parents' house in Cinnamon Hill, Mm. where we used to uh, spend a lot of time. And later on in their lives, it was like their favorite place to be. They'd Mm. spend like six months out of the year there. So it was neat to be there with Chris on the couch and seeing Will the Circle Be Unbroken Mm. face-to-face with him. Because he was one of the reasons... 
when I was a young girl wanting to learn how to write songs is he was one of the people there at our house that would be in the in our living room playing a new song and he was young and handsome and all those things but he wrote things in a way that I had never really experienced before um face to face right you know um and i i loved telling people about one of the times that i was there when roy orbison was there mm. uh and then it was my turn after roy orbison sang and i was like oh my god it was like so bad it's so bad my little voice i think i was 18 or something yeah. i hadn't quite figured things out yet and then right after me comes paul mccartney oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, and I was like, okay, if I can do this, <laughs> man, I got balls, y'all. <laughs> what was what, when you you were a kid and you're growing up and you you see you see whoever you see Chris Christopherson or Roy Orbison? Like, what was your? I mean, what were your impressions of these people? Did you realize their did, gravity, or was it they were just around? Well, honestly, I remember George and Tammy being George. Mm. Uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette coming to the house, and they were done up just like George Jones and Tammy yeah. Wynette for dinner. <laughs> and uh, but I didn't really know much about them because this is right. the funny thing about me and country music is my mom was really, uh, uh, really, really cool about going and getting me new music. She's mm-hmm. like she played me when I was a really young kid, and my little sister. She said, "Y'all sit down. I'll play you this new this new guy. He's going to change music forever." And it was Bob Dylan's first <laughs> record, and I was like little, you yeah, know, I wasn't yeah, yeah. very big. But, um, yeah, it was. they were there, and I remember when I went to England and I met Dave Edmonds, the first thing he asked me was, like, do you know George Jones? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, he used to come to dinner at our house. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like such an idiot because right, then, right, right. then I started really listening to George Jones. And yeah. it, it wasn't that I wouldn't have liked him. It's just I wasn't exposed right. in that way. I listened to Van Morrison, and I listened to Janis Joplin, and yeah. I listened to the Monkees. Yeah. You know, I was like a normal kind of teenager that loved rock and roll mm-hmm. and Rachel. Charles. Right. Yeah. So it was, yeah. you just had a different context for it. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, my first like hero songwriters were uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Mm. And and part of that had to do with that, that just spoke to me so much with the lyrics and the music was that also Elton played piano and I wanted to be a piano player. And I bought their songbook and I learned every song out of it on the piano. And then many years later, I get to meet them and hang out with them yeah. and become really good friends with Bernie. And mm. so it was like all these things in my life is I've never been scared to like hire somebody so I could meet them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> I hired Sheila E to play on my record because I just thought she was just <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah. And she said, she said to me, why did you ask me to do this? And I was like, because you, you freaking rock. Yeah. And she was like, Oh, I, I didn't know what to think. I, I looked you up. You were a country artist. I thought there's gonna be hay bales all over the studio. But that was a fun. That was a funny thing to do. And also the same kind of thing with NRBQ. Mm-hmm. I just love their records, and I invited them to come and sing on a, on a song, mm-hmm. all four of them, and they came. Yeah. And from that, we came started a songwriting relationship with Al Anderson. Right. Big Al and I, we wrote every little thing, which was one of my biggest records, mm-hmm. and. We, I've probably written more songs with him than anyone I've ever written with. Yeah. How have, has your perspective on, on songwriting and being a musician changed since you, star- since you started? Well, I used to think that I needed to create drama in my life to have stuff to write about. Because mm. I had this lovely sense of tragedy. Yeah. You know, as I need to write these heart-wrenching, sad songs. But I, I learned how to channel it 
to where I didn't have to create that drama mm-hmm. anymore. I had plenty to fall back on, yeah. <laughs> plenty to reach back and grab some of. Uh, not to say that it didn't still happen, but um, yeah, I usually people always you know at, people at, that don't know about writing they'll ask you do you write the words or the music and it's like I don't know mm-hmm. it just kind of happens and I've always followed the muse when it hits me it hasn't been hitting me as much as I'd like it to mm-hmm. you know but if I decide that I want to do write a song sometimes I can just like tap in and do it and and I'm really happy with it um, there's an album I did in 2008 called Stronger that I wrote that entire record in a three-month period, hmm. which for me is huge. You know, write an entire album in three months that's yeah. actually good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I need to tap in again. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I, I like having a strain of what, of it's like a strain of inspiration that goes through a whole album, and hmm. it's like it connects in some way, not necessarily topic-wise, but just like in attitude. Right, so not like a collection of songs, but something that brings that brings that all yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, and everything that's been going on since the last time I wrote, mm. you know, and and it's almost like a diary. Yeah, yeah, it's like I've got to write about this. I got to write about that, and a lot of times it's been my uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. It's been very cathartic and healing for me in a lot of aspects uh, to write songs over loss, mm. uh, particularly when I was going through a lot of grief. Mm. Uh, over the loss of my mom and of John and my sister Rosie and my partner Howie, yeah. all happened in one year. That's wild. And and so I was able to heal a lot of that hurt through writing songs about it. Right. And I have to be careful not to sing all four of the, all four of the songs in an in a row, or people would be out there going. Ah. <laughs> was that around the time that you realized that you you didn't need to sort of you know create drama? Um, no, I realized it before then, but then drama still was happening yeah. to me. So um, now I have plenty of drama going on. You know, it's like I've got granddaughters, and that's a bit of a drama right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Teenage granddaughters, it's like, yeah! Right. It's like, they're, they're good girls. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's good to reinforce, you know. That yeah. It's like, you don't have to make drama, it'll come. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, no, it follows you around. Um yeah, I, I, you know, I found being home is really comforting to me, and I still have the same piano I had when I was pregnant with my son, mm. and he's 44, wow. um, and so I've had this piano 46 years or something, and uh, it's in my house, and it has seen and heard all my tears, all my worries, all my happiness, everything, mm. that piano that is it knows me i touch it and something happens Hmm. and it's like i find myself not touching it because i don't want to go there sometimes Hmm. i don't want to go to where where uh something's going to come out of me that's going to kind of hurt a little or something but you know i if i don't practice my craft it's not going to get done and that's the thing it's just like i just got to turn around and get back into practicing my craft Hmm. and it's not like i feel urgent about Hmm. it but at the same time, as I'm kind of bored seeing what I've been singing, so yeah. it's time for some new stuff. Yeah. So you said you think you have you have about ten more years of act- hopefully. Of, oh of gosh, activity. I, uh. it, I don't know. I don't know. It's like the women in my family don't tend to live very long. I think it's because yeah. they work so hard. Um, they put in a lot of hours. Put a lot of hours. Yeah, a lot of miles. <laughs> I don't, we're definitely in the in the uh, billion mile club. Yeah. The family is, but um, yeah, I. I don't know. It's like I who knows. As I just can't imagine not doing it mm-hmm. because it, there's I love the whole process of writing a song, putting it down, playing it to people, 
and telling them about it and them enjoying it and then telling me what they think about it or how it touches them. That's mm-hmm. my job is to touch them in some way that they identify in their lives. And if I'm if I'm honest all the time, I'm going to touch somebody yeah. because it's when I make up stuff that it doesn't touch. Mm-hmm. And I can make up shit all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a sense of, of what you'd like to make or, or say sort of your, your next go? Or is it one of those things where you just have to wait until it hits you? Well, I just had this really cool talk with my manager, Randy Hoffman, and uh, we were talking about some things that I've been mean, wanting to do for a long time. One of them is, is write a book, because mm. uh, I do have quite a life that yeah. has gone on, and uh, you know how to do that, how to mm. go about doing that, how, how long that might take, or do I need help, or yeah. any of those things, which I'm open to all, all aspects mm. of it. The other thing is how much do I want to work, how... Uh, I love performing live. I love my band. I love my two guys that I we have a trio together, and then I have a full band too. And then I love going out by myself. But um, I also am need to make a living. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a cool thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've I've found that um, I've just I've been saying yes to everything, mm-hmm. just about everything, uh, unless it's just ridiculous right. and. Um, so I was like, what is this Nashville demystified? Yeah, yeah, and, it's yeah. like, and they go, and they say, look it up. So I look it up and I was going, I'd already said yes. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I, well, I, I very much appreciate it. I appreciate you took a risk. How did music videos change country as a as a genre? Because if I look at like who was popular in the 80s and then who was popular in the 90s, it seems pretty radically, yes. radically different. Well, I'll tell you this, is that when I came back to Warner Brothers, I had made one of the very first videos they ever made in 1978 for my first single. Hmm. And it, they didn't have any place to play them. They didn't have... Uh, you know the uh, CMT or any or or V uh, VH1 or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. So it was on Showtime or uh, HBO jukebox. Hmm. So they would play that there. So when I came back, as I said, this song, I fell in love. We need to make a video, and they were like, "Well, we're not sure that video sells records." I said, "Videos will sell records. Videos, people want to see you seen it in their house. They want you to. They want to do it, and it's like." I, I really was about making those videos, and, yeah. and I could see, I always have, when I write a song, I always have a video in my head mm. of what it looks like, or a story, or a movie, or something that goes along with it. It's visual in my head. Uh, that's how you really make something real. It's like, I look at it in my head, and I go, okay, she had on, her, her fingers were cracked, her fingernails mm. were cracked, or, you know, like, little things like that. But I had fun making those videos. And even our Jamie here stars in a lot of my videos when she was a little girl. And, um, yeah, Miss Jamie Leffler, star yeah. of video. Right here? Western video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I, I love doing it. And I found uh, a guy that, that made my first video. I, I watched uh, Baby's Got Back. Mm-hmm. Remember that song? Yeah, of course. Okay, that's what I wanted my video to look like. Yeah. So... And what it was was strobes, which yep. made I Fell in Love look pop. The mm-hmm. colors were, like, uh, fabulous. And I had so much fun changing clothes and doing all that and dancing. And that was when Jim Ed Norman, God God love Jim Ed, uh, he, he was so tolerant of me and my crazy ideas mm-hmm. to have video. Gee. Yeah. Um, and he... He thought there was something wrong with it when mm-hmm. he saw the effect that it had, where it was like yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. jerky. Yeah. And he said, "There's something wrong with this copy." I was going, "No, it's yeah. not." <laughs> we meant it. <laughs> yeah, and so we did. Uh, we did some crafty things back then to make 
things happen because we put the video out before the record mm-hmm. and on uh, CMT came out and I had a video I had a TV show on VH1 mm. and so we put this video out and so I enlisted all my kids and all their my kids friends and paid them to call radio stations all <laughs> over America <laughs> and request that crazy song that said what you want to do that for and they had to say we don't have that yeah. so when it did come in they knew right so it was like and i thought we were being really crafty come to find out later that a lot of labels do that yeah, but yeah. i was doing it myself it's like <laughs> yeah yeah how'd you wind up with the show on vh1 um they they were doing a country show yeah uh, and they wanted uh to do a country show and it was called the carling carter show yeah. and it was i had the best time doing that it was all ad-libbed mm-hmm. and there was a running theme through it where I asked every single artist that I had on my show if they knew Clint Black. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> the whole thing was like there was 10 episodes, I think, and the whole thing was all gearing up to Clint's going to come on my yeah. show. Clint's going to come on my show. And finally, the last show, my son is dressed up like the UPS guy. And he brings in a, a VHS tape, and he says, this came from Mr. Black. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and anyway, so he, I put it in, and he says, hey, Carlene, it's Clint Black here. And he's like in his bus. He yeah. says, I'm sorry i'm not gonna be able to make it and then it cuts to me and i go well i'm sure that nice dwight yoakum would like to be on the show. <laughs> so it was like i had fun you yeah know? absolutely yeah yeah i feel like that that's that's a thing that stands out about about uh uh everything i've seen or seen or heard from you over the over the course of your career is your your personality is front and center and mm-hmm. i think that that goes that goes a, a far way and it seems like with a lot of stuff that happened with with video sometimes people went in the other direction was yeah. they tried to be you know they tried to project image and image and image and it's very clearly you are a real human being with, yeah oh <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> well, see, I found out really early on is if you're yourself, then you don't have to try as hard. Because yeah. if you're just yourself, it's like, that's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to be somebody else, it's not going to sell. People are going to know it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. I That's what I think. Because I look at somebody and go, oh, poser. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> you know? I was just talking with someone last night about the, that same thing is that I it, I... I feel like I will go further with an artist that I get a sense that I'm getting that actual person Mm -hmm. than someone who's just like technically proficient or really great at what they do. Like, that's great. But if I don't see you, I I don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that's what people connect to is, is they're real people. They want to talk to a real Mm -hmm. person. They want to listen to a real person. They want to know that when they're hearing those songs, that that person actually did that or felt that. And I think it's the feeling part of it. It's not necessarily like the, the story of something particularly but i do think authenticity does uh, connect absolutely yeah and i, I, I my personality has always been part of what i do and mm-hmm. um yeah it's just going to keep being part of it so when my knees give out i'm still going to be a, i'll be a radio personality <laughs> or maybe i'll have a podcast it's the perfect time for it well you like that i mean the the, the uh you like that law country tour so much you gotta maybe you gotta get on that network and uh, yeah and, uh, get serious <laughs> to, like, give, me, give me some stuff yeah this is the beginning of the rally to get serious and in that <laughs> <laughs> well carlene thank you so much it's been just an absolute pleasure to talk thank with you. you thank you for having me right on. i'm so glad you came to douglas corner yeah thank you <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to National Demystified. I am your host, again, Alex Steed. National Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory. It is brought to you by We Own This Town. Thank you so much to uh, audio engineer and sound magician Cameron Davidson for taking just the mess I give to him and turning it into something that's listenable. And thank you uh, to Michael Eads for special audio help with uh, this week's episode introduction, um, recording, and on and on and on and on. Please leave reviews. 
please follow on social, do all the things. Oh, yeah, and thank you, Carlene Carter, for, oh my god, coming and talking to me for this episode. I appreciate everything, I appreciate y'all, and tune in next week for some lower broad times. Thank you. <laughs>